Happy 4th of July. What an incredible day. We are celebrating the day that we declared independence as a people in this country. And uh, for anyone who has since fought to preserve that peace and that freedom, I just want to say thank you to you as well. So anyone who served, we just applaud you. We thank you. For your service. I, I just want to let you know about a few things coming up. One is right after service today, we have like a cookout. Uh, I think John's man in the grill, so if you get sick, you can blame John. But uh, we'll have hot dogs and hamburgers and all kinds of things. We have a giant water slide, um, and it's for adults, by the way. So adults, uh, you can just push kids down it, and then you just jump in yourself. Uh, we have a water balloon war planned and everything like that. So after service, just come and join us as we as a community come together to celebrate uh, life and, and just to be together. But I just wanted to let you know a special announcement about next week. So next week, we are not going to be having services. We're going to be doing something different. So not that we don't think that services are really important and services are something that we need to do, but sometimes it's hard to be the church when we're always at church. And so we have a special event planned, um, and, and I want to let you in on a little story about why we're here at this school. So we are at the school, one, because we love it, and the vision and mission of SSIS is an incredible one. Honestly, it is something we are so excited to partner with all of the time, and this school has a special heart, right? They serve a lot of kids who are at or below the poverty line. And so by being here at the school, we actually pay rent every week directly to this school. We write them a check as a church to meet here, and all of that money goes right into the school to help them out. Uh, it serves them in many ways. But we can go above and beyond, can't we, church? We can do more than that, and we can be part of what's happening. And so here's a way for us to serve. On July 10th, which is next Saturday, we will meet as a church here. We won't have any services. We may praise. We may do something like that. But we're going to work on serving this campus. So we're going to plant plants. We're going to mulch. We're going to, we have a guy coming and he's pressure washing the whole building for free, by the way. Uh, we have people coming in to paint. We're going to paint the front room. We're going to just clean and get this place ready. And later on in the year, we actually have a guy coming in who's going to clean all the floors in this building for free. Wax them, clean them, everything like that. And that all happens, one, because of your generosity as a church with your time, but also in your generosity and giving. All of that helps us continue to reach people with the gospel. And here's what I firmly believe. People won't really want to know what you have to say until you earn the right to be heard. And as a church, may our service in the way that we love people and serve our community be the gospel that we preach. May they see the gospel in action in our hearts. Why would a bunch of people show up to a place that they're paying to use and then beautify it? Because we serve a great God who does immeasurably more than we could ever hope for or imagine. And so we as a church are going to continue to do that. And so would you consider joining us next Saturday? We have a lot of plans. I'm ambitious. And so like for me, I'm like, let's just build a whole new building, right? But like... We're not going to do that. And so if you want to come, it's a couple hours, nothing too crazy. Uh, there's signups in the back. I would really encourage you to do that. But also, one of the ways that you can participate is by giving. So if you want to give, you can do that by texting 84321 with any amount, 84321. Text in. You can go on our website or 
kind of the best way, you can just go ahead, write a check, or put cash right in the black box in the back. But all of that money, we want you guys to know that when you give, it's going to ministry. It's going to improve and help this school. And so I'm excited this morning, if you might have noticed, our bumper's different than ever before, right? We're in a brand new series that we're calling uh, Summer in the Psalms. And I don't know about you, but the book of Psalms is something that I have really struggled with a lot in my life because I am not like a poetical kind of person. I'm actually a very direct person. So when I read poetry, I'm like, just say it. Just say your life's terrible. You're not in the pit of some cave. Just get on with it and just say, my life is awful. Let's go. But that's not how a lot of people work. Right, because poetry and songs and, and art have this way of kind of expressing what words cannot. Amen. See, because I'm not really into expressing, I, I'll just say it and be like, it's deeper than that, but life is terrible. Okay, it's worse than that, but that's the best I got. It's awful, okay? The Psalms are, are a way for us to pray and praise in the midst of life. And I don't know about you, but like that's something we definitely might, might need in this season in the world, in this season of life. And so the book of Psalms is, is a, 150 different poems that are written over thousands, thousands of years by different authors, and then they're compiled into this incredible book that we have kind of right in the middle of our Bible. But here's the incredible thing about that. In the wisdom and guidance of God, those books have been compiled into five separate larger books. And these books all map and kind of tell the entire story of the Bible. In fact, they were meant to show and be remembered as what we call the Torah or the law, the first five books of the Bible. And if you are familiar with this, the first five books of the Bible repeat, that story is repeated all throughout Scripture. We call it Fall, Rescue, Redemption. Fall, rescue, redemption. We see that story present in the entire Bible that, that we fall and people fall short and do things and all kinds of things like that. And then this rescue begins to happen. And then through this one who rescues us, there's redemption. But what's really interesting about the book of Psalms is David is the author of most of them. You might know David, David and Goliath. He becomes a king. He does all of these things. He, he authors a lot of them. And some of them are authored by others and some of them are anonymous. But here's what's incredible. These books, a lot of the times when David is writing, there is no temple. There is no place to meet with God. It's like portable church, right? They're in a tent, like kind of like us. So we did, it was box church, right? Like they, they go ahead and, and they would, would move and go around. It was portable church. The early church was set up and tear down, right? Like we're, we're, we're just following in the footsteps. And so what happens is, is David is, is writing these psalms in this way where he's, he's saying, oh, Lord, I just want to be in your presence. I just want to be with you. I just want to be in your temple praising you. But the temple didn't exist when David wrote. But what happens with many of the psalms, here's how I want you to think about it, is that Israel has to leave. Babylon, this nation, comes in and takes Israel out of Jerusalem. And when they do that, they burn the temple. And so what do you do as a people when the place that you met with God is burned? What do you do in that moment? What do you, how do you experience God? Because when you would come into the temple, there was art and there was incense and people were performing sacrifices and, and, and saying rituals and it was a very visceral experience. Well, I want you to think about Psalms as church in the wild. 
Because see, when, ba- when Israel had to leave Jerusalem, they go into Babylon in captivity, but it was many of these psalms that they would recite and they would praise and they would worship and they, through all of that language, would experience God like they were in the temple. And so here's how I want you to think about the book of Psalms. It's a book for exiles. It's a book for people who tend to feel very far away. And I don't know about you, but like sometimes when life gets so hard and life kind of, I'm in the depths of it and I feel so far away from God, at many times I don't have words to pray. Now the Bible tells us that the helper, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, but you've heard me say this before, when you don't have the words to pray, borrow someone else's. Right? Sometimes when my soul is so overwhelmed, I'll read the book, the book of prayer in Anglicanism. I will read prayers or I will go to the book of Psalms and I will read these poems and I will read these prayers as if they were my own. And so God graciously put together this visceral imagery of, of who he is. And, and so some of the language we're going to see in this book is pretty tough. Like, you're like, man, that, that evokes a feeling in me. Like, today we're going to see that God says he's going to crush the enemies of the king. Like, a rod who hits a, a, a clay pot, he crushes it and dismantles it. And you say, whoa, that's, that's language that, like, I, I'm not used to that kind of Jesus language, right? Like, it's all lovely and nice. And God's saying, no, I want you to feel this because it's for exiles, where you couldn't get the experience of being in church and being with God's people and all of those things, I want you to be able to experience it through the word. That's why the language is so beautiful. And so today we're gonna jump into the very first two Psalms. So Psalm one and Psalm two. And here's why. Those two Psalms introduce the entire book. They kind of tell you, hey, if you wanna understand what the other 148 psalms are all about it's about these two things it's like the cliff notes version right it's like hey if you get anything out of the book of psalms every psalm that you go to we want you to see two things and so i entitled today's message this idea of the messed life or the blessed life the messed life or the blessed life because that's what the book of Psalms is going to talk all about. He, in fact, the book of Psalms will go, hey, you're in the messed life. Here's how to get the blessed life. And here's what I mean by blessed. I don't mean necessarily like your bank account's going to fill up with a million dollars, okay? In fact, I heard this this morning. I don't know if you know. Cody, help me out. What's the name of the girl on American Idol from Liberty? We went to school with her. Nightbird. Nightbird. What's her real name? Jane. I don't know if you guys have seen this, America's Got Talent, she's, she won the golden buzzer, she has cancer. She's had survived cancer once already, now this cancer has metastasized to her liver and her spine, um, and th- they're giving her single digits to live. And so she writes about this song that she sang the very first night that she got the golden buzzer, she says, it's not all right, but it's okay. Everything's not all right, but it's okay. And she, I, I read this thing this morning, maybe I'll share it on social media, but they were asking her about suffering, because she's suffering. And she said in this, she said, so many of us, like, when we are suffering, we want God to remove something when God wants to provide something. And so she said, so when I'm thirsty, God doesn't take away my thirst, he provides water. 
And I want you to think about that in this moment, what, what she's saying, because let's be honest, we all in parts of our life are probably suffering somewhere. And maybe we're asking God to remove that thing, and maybe he will do that. There's, I, I believe in that power, absolutely, that God can heal in a word in an instant. But God tends to have purpose in suffering. But God will give you the provision necessary to get through it. And so maybe God's not taking that thing away from you because there's a greater purpose in the suffering, but he will give you the provision necessary to get through it. And that's how I want you to think of this book of Psalms, that it is this idea that you've got to choose where you're going to go. You've got to choose messed life or blessed life. And the blessed life might just be that you have the provision necessary to do it, not the overabundance, although God can do that. God might meet your thirst by not taking it away, but giving you a cup of water. God might meet your financial need, not by, by filling you up with this job that, that, that just fills your bank account because now you don't have faith, but maybe God's going to make you rely on others and the provision in another way. Don't miss the blessing. The miracle is God is using people in ordinary ways to do extraordinary things. And so this book of Psalms does this, and as I was thinking about this, the, book, the very first two chapters present a dilemma, a question. It's, it's this question of, of which way are you going to go? And, and I remember a few years ago, because I didn't, like, you know, I'm a man, so I never get lost, right? Like, we're just taking a longer road to get where we want to be. We're not lost, we're just moving, okay? And so this was before some of the young people in the room were like, there was a time when maps weren't on phones? What? Okay, so there was a time when like I'd have to go on this thing called MapQuest, okay? MapQuest sounds so, I was like, adventure awaits, MapQuest has arrived, right? So I go on MapQuest and it would just like kind of print out like what you were supposed to do. And then your Siri was your co-pilot, right? And they'd be like, turn left now, right? And you'd be like, oh, right? So that's how it worked. And I remember there was one time that we were driving and I totally missed my MapQuest directions, but I didn't want to admit it. So I just kept driving like, uh, no, this is the right road. And it's like telling me that I'm heading in the direction opposite of where I want to go. Like the cities that I'm now heading to are opposite. I'm like, they're confused. I'm not. Let's go. About an hour later, because we should have arrived at our destination by then, I said, I think I might have taken a wrong turn. See, I chose the wrong fork in the road, and I stayed on the wrong path for far too long, which led me to not getting to where I needed to be and delayed everything because in my pride, I couldn't admit it. That's, this is the dilemma that the book of Psalms is going to present to us in the very first two Psalms is, hey, you're going to have to choose a direction. In fact, anyone seen the movie Trolls? Raise your hand if you've seen Trolls. No one wants to admit it. I love it, okay? The first Trolls is the best Trolls, okay? But there's this funny thing in the book of Trolls. There's this, okay, if you haven't seen it, you're gonna be like, I'm not gonna watch it after this. The Trolls are trying to get to Bergentown, okay? And they, there's this, oh, this sounds so stupid. There's a cloud that can talk, okay? And this cloud, the, the, these Trolls have to go through these tunnels to get to Bergentown to go save their friends, their other troll buddies, okay? And when they show up, there's a bunch of holes in this wall and they have to choose a path. And the cloud shows up 
and says, choose wisely your path, for one will lead to Bergentown and the other to death. And then it's like, death, 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 death. He's doing his own echo, right? Who did it with me? Kelsey. Okay, my <laughs> wife. Death, 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 death. And I know that that's funny, but I think many of us are standing in front of a bunch of choices right now, and there's a fork in the road, and God's saying, choose wisely the path that you will go, for one will lead to life, and one will lead to death, 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 death. <laughs> and so you and I have to make a choice, but then when we do make that choice, we have to know that we're on the right path. And so if you have a Bible with you, Let's open up to Psalm chapter 1. But if you remember this idea, the Bible's going to hit on this again. In our series on making it through the mess, where we talked about mental health, we said this, and it came from Craig Rochelle, how you think determines how you live. Okay, let's say it again. How you think determines how you live. Right, because how many of you know God, but you think much less of yourself than what God has told you who you are and you're living in a personal hell because you don't like yourself because you're not living in the way that God has told you to live because you're listening to a different type of thinking. We all know how dangerous this is. And so God says, yes, I'm here to renew your heart, but I'm also here to transform your mind. Because how many of us know that these two things don't always equate, and how many of us listen to the head, the negative thinking over the truth of God so many times in our life? The truth of it is simple. Change your thinking. How many of us know that's not so simple? Why? Well, because the enemy that we face is a deceiver, and he's really good at it. In fact, he got Adam and Eve to fall out of a perfect relationship with God. The fact that you and I aren't in a perfect relationship with him right now makes it all the easier to deceive us. And so Psalms goes, this book is for exiles. This book is for people who are far from God. And you say, well, there's not a temple that we worship in now, but how many of you are in a literal wilderness in your life, like a, a figurative wilderness in your life, that you feel far from God, then this book is for you. So how we think determines where we go. So here's how we're going to say. The road you choose determines your destination. Let me just ask us, like right now, just where you are in your life, what road are you walking on right now? See, we all think that the end of the road won't get to us or we'll just turn off at some point. We'll just veer off the road. We're, we're on this road we know we shouldn't be on and we'll just, we're going to do a U-turn, or certainly there will be a way to, to, to turn around, but I'm just telling you, without God, without the Holy Spirit, it's a one-way road. You're going to need God to pick you up and move you to a new destination. And so we, we are going to go into this, and so let's take a look at Psalm chapter 1, just starting in verses 1 through 3. This is the, the proverbial fork in the road. This is how the Bible begins to talk about what we are going to go through. Blessed is the man, that word man is meant to represent humanity, men or women, right? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So the Bible opens up and says, blessed is a person, you want to know who you don't want to run with, you don't want to run with these guys, right? Because here's what we all know. The company you keep determines where you're going to go in life. 
Okay, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Right, we've all, we've all said this to our teenage kids, right? Like, like you're a teenager, choose your friends wisely because they will determine your future. Bible backs that up. Who are you running with? Who are you, who are you going with? But his delight, verse two, is in the law. That word law really means teaching. It goes back to the Torah or the first five books of the Bible. That he says, look, you, you are blessed when you walk in the law, the teachings of God. And on this law, this teaching, you meditate day and night, right? This is what Joshua says, for your, your word does not depart from me, for I meditate on it day and night. Look at what the Bible says that person is like. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So let me just tell you what the messed life looks like. This is what the messed life looks like. Notice that when it described those three different people that you're not supposed to hang with, it slowly gets worse. From walking to standing, to sitting. Notice it goes from commitment. That's the messed road. The further you get down the road, the more committed you get. How many of you have gone the wrong way and maybe early on you might have gone, yeah, I could turn around, I could go in a different direction, but the further you get down the wrong path, your pride creeps in and keeps you going down the wrong path. See, the only time that on my road trip when I realized I was at the wrong place is when I arrived at the wrong destination. The opposite destination. Right? And so here's what I need you to to understand. When he says, walks in the counsel of the wicked, that's how you think. Are you walking right now with people, with ideologies, with with? ideas with thoughts with teachings that are opposite of the teaching of God is the world affecting the way in which you're thinking how is it going right now and then it goes into that doesn't stand with sinners that's behaving like I'm going to belong to this group I'm going to be in this group and I'm going to stand in commitment it's belonging Right? I want you to think of standing as belonging. So it goes from thinking to now belonging with these wrong people and these wrong ideas to then sitting. What does that mean? Sitting is participating. To be a scoffer of God is to mock God. Is to, in this moment of life, mock and become participatory. So there's really not a lot of an excuse. And let me just ask you, how many of you have walked in something you should not do in your life, Bible calls it sin, and all of a sudden you make fun of everyone else who is walking in the thing that you should have been? Here's like the most common thing, right? I remember there was like a bachelor, bachelorette. I don't watch these shows because they're awful, but there was like one who was a virgin, And they were ridiculed the entire time for being a virgin. Probably doing one of the hardest things to do in the world, especially in our culture. And notice what the culture does. It sits down and mocks what God says to do. That's what it means to become a scoffer. That's what it means. And so the Bible warns us, and it says, 
Watch where you walk, watch where you stand, and really be aware of where you're sitting and who's at your table. See, because for so many of us, some of us will sit with our sin so long that we find ourselves mocking the thing that is meant to save us and welcoming the sin that is meant to devour us. Let me say that again. Some of us will sit in our sin so long that we find ourselves mocking the thing that is meant to save us, God, and welcoming this this sin that is meant to devour us. And so let me just ask you a question. Who's a guest at your table right now? What table are you sitting at? And let me just ask you, where does the end of the line go to that? And let me just tell you, the Bible's very clear what the end of the road for sin is, death. It's, it doesn't hide from it. The Bible goes, look, you want to know what sin earns? You want to know what happens when you sit at that table? Death. Physical, relational, emotional, intellectual death. It affects every part of your life. How many of us have walked in sin in our relationship with suffering? How many of us have walked in sin in our thought and now our minds are crazy and we can't discern the truth any longer? So let me just ask you, who's sitting at your table? Who have you invited in? What are you enjoying your time with right now? If you're just walking or standing, you need to turn around right now. You need to make the choice. Because let me just tell you, while you're walking, it's much easier to just turn around. But when you're sitting and you're entrenched, you have to do all the power to excuse yourself from the table and to stand up from the table and to pull out your chair and to tuck your chair back in. Listen, don't do that. If you're at the table with sin, just kick the chair over and run, okay? But here's the deal. Do you see how much more effort it takes to get up from the table than it does to just turn around when you're walking? And so let me let this be a warning just right now to everybody. If you're walking in something that you shouldn't be, this is the Bible's way of saying, turn around. Turn around. Because the Bible says that the end of that road is perishing. But then the Bible goes, okay, so you want to know, so that's the messed life. That's where it's all messed up. And let me just tell you something. Has anyone been in a situation that was all messed up and you didn't realize till you got out of it and you go, that was messed up? That is the deceit of what can go on because what's happened? It's affected your thinking. Has anyone ever done something in here and go, what was I thinking? Well, that's what happens when your thinking goes awry. And so this blessed life now begins to come into our moment. This blessed life of what does it look like? And the Bible begins immediately and says, you want to know what it looks like? It looks like the one who follows and meditates on my word. Here's the reality. How are you going to know what path you're on if you don't know what the path is supposed to look like? Right? Like if you don't know that the end of your destination is in a tropical rainforest in a mountain and you find yourself in a desert that's flat and burning, you're like, I didn't know. Well, that's because you didn't know the description of where you should be. Anyone ever give directions about the description of what like, yeah, you're going to go take a right at the KFC all right, then you're going to go about 200 feet or so, and you're going to find a little red tractor 
at that tractor, you're going to need to take a left, okay? Then you're going to, then you're out of distances. You're like, then you just go down the road about five minutes. And you're like, five minutes is relative. If I'm going five miles an hour, I'm not very far. If I'm going 100, it's pretty quick. And then you'll come to a little blue house with white shutters in a gravel driveway. I'll be standing out front waving. If there's no description of where you should be, where, how are you going to arrive where you need to be? So the Bible says that the one who dwells on my word, who meditates on my word, is going to start getting a description of what this life looks like, of what this blessed life looks like. And notice what it says. It says that, that this person is planted like a tree. Planted is this idea of, notice he contrasts sitting. Sitting and being planted. Planted in God means that your roots are deep. You are steadfast in it, that you are secure in God and nothing can uproot you. But notice with sin and with this messed life, God gives us a way out. It's just sitting. It's not planted. It's sitting. And you have an option to always get up. And some of you need to consider the option right now to get up. And so the Bible says that when this tree which is planted by a river that never runs dry. What is that river? The word of God, the eternal life. It goes back to Eden in the garden that there is this river of life that never runs dry. And so here's what that means for the tree. You'll never be without. You'll always have what you need. And notice what the Bible says. The tree does not wither and it produces fruit in good season. See, some of us just aren't so sure that we're on the right path because we're not necessarily seeing the fruit in our life. Be patient. Be patient because fruit takes time to grow. Right, we're growing a pineapple right now at our house. It's taken this thing like two years to come about. I thought for a while it was broken. I'm like, this thing is jacked. (laughs) Look at this. We just cut the top of a pineapple off and put it on the ground. What were we thinking? You know what's at the top of that little tree right now? A pineapple. In about one month, I'll be enjoying the fruits of two years of labor, right? (laughs) Okay? And then I think, this isn't worth it, right? But here's the deal. It will be worth it the moment I taste it. Just be patient. God is working in you something incredible. And so the psalm goes on very quickly to this idea of where do you want to arrive? So he talks about this man who is blessed. Everything that he do is going to prosper. Verse 4, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Notice what it's saying there. Chaff is this part of the wheat that has no weight, so it's easily blown away. Because the wicked person is not rooted in God, then anything can come and blow them away. They're not secure in this life. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Here's what I want to tell you. When you are living for God in the way of God, the Bible means that he knows you. Not just that he knows what you're doing, he's intimately involved with you. See, some of us go, man, I don't really sense the presence of God. And I just got to ask the question, like, so where are you planted? Where are you? I mean, so many of us are like, man, I don't, I don't experience God's life. Well, the Bible promises when we're planted in God, we're next to a river that never runs dry. Our leaves will never wither, and we will produce fruit. So the problem really isn't that the river ran dry because it never runs dry. The problem is that you might have taken a seat in a place you shouldn't be. 
And so, so many of us are like, God, where are you? God, why aren't you doing this? God, why isn't this happening? God, and God goes, well, where are you planted? Like, you, you know the road that you chose, and now you're getting to the place where it arrives. See, because here's the reality. All of us want free will until we don't. I'm going to say that again. All of us want free will until we don't. I, I'm going to ask God to take my will away. And you're like, man, that's crazy. Because I know that in myself and in my sin, I will always choose opposite of God. So God, override my free will. God, take it away. Lead me in your path. Take me on your road. Take me to your destination. Even if I don't want to go there, would you pick me up and take me there? How many of us as parents have ever overridden the free will of our children to do something for them that is for their benefit? How many of you, your parents did something for you, they overrode your free will, and they did something for you, and now you look back and go, thank you. At the time, it felt like they were robbing you, in the, but the reality is they were preserving you. We all want free will until we don't, and I'll tell you the moment you don't want it, when the consequences come. And then we say this, why'd you let me do that? Why didn't you show up? Why didn't you do this? And God says, well, like, do you remember all the warning signs I gave you? Do you remember all the times my spirit spoke to you? Do you remember all that time you felt guilt and shame for walking in those things that you shouldn't? That was all my way of trying to help you turn. So what do you mean I wasn't there warning you? You just weren't responding. And then we all want to say, well, God, just do it. Just take us out of here. Maybe this is the warning for you. And so this psalm produces for us this idea that's going to be for the rest of our life. Which road are you walking on? Which way are you going? How are you moving forward? And then it says, so the way of one road is death, but the way to the other road is a king. It's this king that arrives into this story, this savior king, this warrior king called the Messiah who is going to come into the world, and Psalm 2 represents that. So Psalm 2 is going to say, Psalm 1 goes, hey, there's a fork in the road. One is blessed, one is messed. The end of messed is death. The end of blessed is life. And that life is in Jesus. So this psalm we're about to read is one of the most quoted psalms of the New Testament. You're going to see some language in here that God uses of Jesus when he's baptized. Because when God, when Jesus is baptized, God says something from heaven. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Right? That language shows up here in Psalm 2. So take a look. We're going to actually go right to the middle of the psalm because I want you to see who this is about and then what goes on on the outside. So starting in verse 4, this is the king. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. So what the Bible's talking about there is there's these people on either side of this, these other kings, these other ideas that are trying to move against God. And the Bible says that God laughs. Not because God is mean, but God is kind of like, that's funny, you're trying to come against me. <laughs> I mean, have you ever had like, a, like, I remember my kids, they were trying to tackle me. One of them, Scout, weighs like 20-something pounds, 30 pounds, and I laugh. Ha, ha, ha. I'm not like, Scout's coming. Oh, no. Like, she's going to demolish me. I love you, Scouty. She's right there. She's bulking up. She's eating up. All right? So, but here's the deal. Because 
When Scal comes after me, I, I weigh like 185 pounds. I have 150 pounds on Scout. It's not a battle. It's a nuisance. I want you to think about that. For how many of you do you think the battle that you are facing looking at God, God looks at it and goes, this is a battle, or God goes, that's a nuisance, and I'll take care of it? Because there's nothing that you are facing that he is not bigger than, that he has no problem taking care of. And so here is this king. So the Lord laughs at what everyone else is trying to do. Look at this, verse five. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, on my holy hill. Here's the reality. How many of you need a little bit of wrath of God in your life to scare you straight? Some of you need to hear an echoing boom from the Lord that says, I am displeased in you. I am displeased in what you are doing. I'll just tell you, when my son was about to jump off the couch yesterday or, or the table or the toilet or whatever he's jumping off, I don't go, hey, dude, hey, dude, you shouldn't jump off of that. You might get hurt. <laughs> no, dad voice comes out, Jude, get off the table now. <laughs> then he gets down. So my booming Corrective voice is a voice of love, but it sounds furious. It sounds angry because that's how passionate I am about your well-being. And so when, the God, when God uses a stern, mean voice, it's not out of anger, but of love. And it's meant to scare you to respond because how many of us know sometimes you've got to be scared to be woken up? And so the father doesn't, oh, hey, Millennial, I don't want you to be upset, Gen Z. Please don't tweet or Instagram or TikTok about me. God goes, I'm going to lay the hammer for your benefit. Because if you continue in this, you will have no other choice. There will be death. So this is it. It's not anger, it's love. And that's what this, the Bible says that he speaks in his wrath, in his anger. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. You go, that's visceral language. And here's what you have to understand. This king is going to have nations and ideas and principalities surrounding him, looking to devour him. And God says, you will be on a high hill. You will be my son, and you will take the rod to them. And the Bible says, and you will crush them like clay. This goes back to this ancient Egyptian custom that the pharaohs, when they wanted to destroy a city that was an enemy of them, they would take a rod and crush this clay pot to show that that will be the destruction of the enemy. And so you say, oh, pastor, like I've never heard God talk like this. I've never heard him be like this. Like he's gonna crush enemies? Yes, because he loves his sons and daughters. How many of you would try to go pet a wolf if he was trying to come after your kids? Would you be like, oh, it's just a wolf. Come here, little buddy. Right? Like, oh, let's be friends with him. 
You know why families don't adopt dogs that have attacked people or other dogs? Because you don't want a wolf in the house because you never know what it's going to do. See, because sometimes God is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. And I'll just tell you this. The shepherd kills the wolves to protect the sheep. It's not that he hates everything about wolves and looks for them to go and get them. He loves his sheep, so he will protect them. That's exactly what this psalm is saying. And so let me ask you, we talked about the table, right? We talked about who's sitting at your table. Who is God pushing out? And if you have God sitting at your table, there will be thoughts and ideas and things in your life, and the Bible says that he will crush them like clay. But here's the deal. You've got to let him do it. Some of us, when we're at our table with God, are so fearful of what is coming that we get up from the table and run to meet the enemy. When the Bible and Psalms talks all about this, he says, don't run to the enemy. Sit in my refuge and I will take care of the enemy. I will take care of it because I love you. Because I love you. Because I'm there for you. And so here in this moment, we have to see so clearly who this psalm is talking about. It's written about David, but it's much more than David. Look at what Acts 13, verses, verse 33 and 32 says. And we bring you the good news that, of what God promised to the fathers. This has been, he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written, look at what it says, in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Notice what happens there. Notice what, what's being said. It says the, the book of Acts goes, Psalms 2 is about Jesus. Yes, it's about David, but it's really about King Jesus. And then finally, that, that verse 9, that one about the crushing clay, that's quoted three times in the book of Revelation. Talking about at the end what God's going to do to the enemy. Your enemy. But here's this incredible thing. The very first part of Psalms chapter 2, this great king who will rise up. Look at what the Bible says. Verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. What the Bible says is, this idea, that, that, that idea to plan or, or, or to plot is the same word used in the previous psalm to meditate on the word of God. He says some of us are meditating and planning and being obsessed with these opposite things of how we can get free from God. And so let me ask you, are you planning your way around God? Are you planning your way towards God? What are you obsessed with? Where are your thoughts taking you? See, let me just ask you like a really simple question. We, we're talking about this table and this place and this seat in our heart and our life. Who's king of your heart? Who's ruling and reigning in your heart? These can be literal kings in this world, but there's also kings like lust, pride, envy, deceit, anger, fear, bitterness, Rage, and those are kings that many of us allow to sit at our table and rule our heart. 
And so God says, why are you even planning this? This is futile. Do you know who I am? This is nothing to me. And then the Bible talks about this king who will arise, who is King Jesus. And you think, oh man, he's going to crush them like clay. This is like what's happening in this moment. But I want you to see the very end of this psalm, what God does, because God always operates on grace. The very end of the psalm, verses 10 to 12, says this. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in your way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. I want you to see what happens there. The Bible says the blessed life is the person who takes refuge in God, and he will protect them against his greatest enemies. But he gives a warning to the king, and he gives a warning to all of these things who will walk against God, and he says, you're gonna be crushed like a clay pot. Anger and wrath are coming, and I am speaking to you in an angry and wrathful way. Why? What does he say? He invites the kings to believe in the true king. Right here in this psalm, just like with Jesus, grace enters the situation immediately. Grace enters in and God goes, all the kings who are raging against my anointed, be wise. Like, understand, kiss the king. He's here to rescue you too. See, because sometimes we look at this and God has always been in the business of turning enemies into friends and family. See, because some of us are the unruly king. We are working right now against what God says. We are working opposite of what he says. And the Bible goes, this is a warning to you. You've chosen the messed life, not the blessed life. And so the end of this will be perishing. And that looks like a lot like a clay pot being shattered. But the Bible doesn't stop there and go, it's a warning. This is gonna be bad for you. What it says is, Repent and believe in the king and you will be brought in as friends. And so as we end today, this morning, who's king of your heart? See, because Jesus is this king. Jesus is this good king who will go against every enemy and you think, oh my gosh, what do I do? So that anger that you have, he's going against it. That fear that you have, he's going against it. That lust that you have, he's going against it. That deceit, he's going against it. Not only what the enemy says about you, but what you're walking in towards the reality is, though. You've got to choose the right path, and then you've got to let him lead the way. How do we let him lead the way? We read the word. It means that every enemy you face, you don't have to run out to demolish it. We're in the 4th of July. Here's the analogy. Um, my sister's here. She's in the army. It's incredible. She's doing an incredible job. But let me just tell you, if the United States gets in a fight, I'm going to let her and her team go fight the battle first. I'm not going to go run to the war because there's a greater one who's greater than the kings who are against me that will fight the kings for me. Does that make sense? Is this connecting? That's what King Jesus does. 
There's a king who is against me, an enemy who is against me that is far greater than me. And Jesus says, be still and know that I am God and I am gonna go take the fight to the enemy and I promise you I'll win the war. You only need to be still. This is what the entire book of Psalms is all about. In every place when David or others feel like they're overrun, they're lamenting, they're worried, they're scared, it always goes into praise and thankfulness. And in fact, the book of Psalms, will go into one of these, the very last five Psalms are called Hallel or Hallelujah Psalms. Anyone, Hallelujah, does that sound like anything? Hallelujah. Hallelujah translated from the Hebrew means praise Yahweh, praise God. So how do you and I fight the battle against the kings? We praise him. And how do we praise him? We follow him. We listen to him. We rest in him. We sit in him. 